Um, basically, there are acceptable use policy for their district. A lot of times districts have these acceptable use policies that are supposed to lay out the rules for how you're supposed to be interacting with each other on the internet and the, specifically spelling out what the consequences are for uh, inappropriate actions on the internet. Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Registration for the fall session of the ADHD Essentials Parenting Groups closes on September 30th. The groups will meet on Mondays and Wednesdays, beginning Monday, October 4th, and ending eight weeks later on Wednesday, November 24th. Only the 12 p.m. section is open for enrollment, and there's only a few spaces remaining. So if you're interested, don't delay. Contact me now. Brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Members will spend eight weeks gaining valuable skills and strategies to better improve family communication and connection, and they'll learn ways to better manage anxiety at home. Go to ADHDessentials.com slash parentgroups for more details. And don't delay. Registration closes this week, and it's filling up. And of course, with only a little less urgency, check out our partner podcasts. ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb, ADHD Diversified with MJ, and the ADHD Friendly Lifestyle with Moira Maven. The entire ADHD Rewired podcast network does a live Q&A the second Tuesday of every month at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. The next one will take place on Tuesday, October 12th. If you want to support this show, a great way to do so is by providing a rating and review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast player of choice. It helps others find us through that wild algorithm magic that we're all hearing about. I'd greatly appreciate your support. And of course, this episode, like so many others, was edited by Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. Go to IdealVideoStrategies.com to learn more about his work. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Anthony Amatrano. Anthony is an instructional technology specialist in Northbridge, Mass., as well as a former music teacher and school administrator. He also has a website called EduPowerTools that provides resources related to using technology in education. In this episode, Anthony talks to us about technology education. He discusses the way the use of technology is changing in schools, from worksheets to more creative and collaborative projects. He tells us about ways parents can support their kids through technology, by guiding us on setting better boundaries, as well as talking about digital citizenship and the power of teacher and district websites. And he also tells us about the Northwestern tree octopus. All right. Let's get rolling. A lot of times what I see teachers trying to do with technology is trying to basically do what they've always done only in a technology type format. So 
worksheets, you know, dittos, making the copies and the worksheets for the kids or the packets. And then basically the, the first question that I usually get from teachers that kind of rely on that as, as their form of instruction and delivery and things like that is how do I have the kids be able to do this online? Which, you know, I guess it's a step in the right direction. They're using technology in the classroom, which is going to, you know, inherently kind of engage the students a little bit more than just putting a packet in front of them. But it's not really what the technology can do. I mean, there's so much more that the, the, the teachers can, can do with the technology. Uh, and the challenge, I guess, that I face is trying to get them from one point to the other. Uh, and that's, that's been pre-COVID and through, throughout COVID and I anticipate will be post-COVID also. But that's kind of the thing that I feel like makes it the most exciting. To see the growth of the teacher, to go from one place to the next is, uh, is kind of cool. So what would you like to see teachers doing more of, like once we move beyond worksheets? Generally, all devices have some kind of a camera. You know, the touch screens are nice because you can draw nicely on it. But so basically what I'd like to see teachers doing more of is a kind of using the technology as a, more of a kind of a creative tool that the kids aren't just kind of passively using the technology to answer questions or watch a video or, um, you know, do the things that they would normally do offline, but they're actually, they're making stuff, you know, because Chromebooks and iPads and laptops in general, they all have webcams. They all have easy to use software that can help uh, students make creations like video creations. Instead of just going onto Google Docs to type up an essay, uh, that they're, they're doing some like peer review. They're able to collaborate in a Google Doc and communicate with each other and comment on each other's work. Things like that. Um, like I said, things that are kind of more interactive and more creative and less passive uh, and, and like they would do like on like worksheets. That's awesome. I would love to say that when I homeschooled my kids this past year, I was doing that, but not as much as I would have liked. And some of that was the boundary of, I didn't know how to do that stuff. And I didn't have someone like you who can come in and teach me how to do that stuff. Right. But I, I did find some things that, that I thought were useful, that I thought were fun, at least for me. My kids didn't always love it. One is with an essay. They had to write an essay with research in it. And I was like, just hot link your quotes. Instead of MLA format quoting and all that stuff, like, yes, we talked about that. But my guys are, were in sixth grade last year. I didn't, didn't need to hammer that home too hard. Um, Cause that's more middle high school and end of middle school where that stuff becomes a big deal. But I did have them put the hot links. Cause that seems like a skill that they should be learning that I don't know necessarily happens. Absolutely. And, and that's an awesome way to, to get them started to thinking about citing their work and, and things like that. Just putting in the link. I, and the nice thing about us, so I have to talk about Google tools a lot because my district uses primarily Google uh, tools. Um, but in Google docs, like if, if they, there's citation tools built right into it so that if they have just the link, they can insert that in and, and it'll guide them through all the details that they need once they get to the ne that next step of, you know, you wanting to cite them specifically in MLA format or Chicago or whatever it is that they want to use. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. The project I wanted to do that didn't, that I didn't get to, I'm hoping to maybe make them do it over the summer. I've offered them some money to do it is they went through this phase where they were all about bad shark movies like Sharknado and five headed shark and all these kinds of like terrible, terrible shark movies. So I was like, well, make a shark movie, make a Lego shark movie. That is, yeah. that is intentionally bad. 
And and that part was critical, right? Because if I said make a shark movie with Legos, there's all this pressure to make it. But saying it's intentional, make an intentionally bad shark movie, all of that pressure goes away and now it's silly and fun. But it took me a while to find an app that did green screen the way I needed to do it mm-hmm. and was like easy to access. Like you can do green screen with iMovie, but I tried to figure it out and couldn't figure it out. I couldn't make it work. I eventually found an app that worked, but by then homeschooling was over. So now I'm trying to convince him. I'm like, what if I give you a budget to make the movie and whatever money you don't spend, you get to keep. Yeah, there you go. And since they're not going to spend any money because they already have all the Legos, they got them for Christmas. They'll just make the movie. So that's that's a, a summer project from once their camps end next week. Yeah, I think that was, I think I saw your post online. That's how we kind of, reconnected a little bit oh, did you end up the doing the green screen doing is that the one that you're using yeah that's the one they're using yeah nice yeah that's a great app yeah yeah but that's a great um like hook that you got there like make it intentionally bad one of the things that i have done with some teachers and the kids at school is the worst presentation ever uh which is you make an intentionally awful google slide presentation so that you're kind of highlighting the things that you know you're not supposed to do and kind of reinforcing that in your head so that when you go to make a a presentation, you don't do those things. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. I like that a lot. So what can parents do with technology to support their kids? Yeah. So my wife and I have that challenge daily um, because, you know, we're, we're, like I said, we've got the three kids. They're all at that kind of age where they're starting. They have phones and their friends have phones and they're starting to want to get involved with social media and all that good stuff. So I think one super important thing that we as parents can do is, is model good use of the technology, that we're using the technology appropriately, that we're still interacting with each other in face-to-face and in real reality, and not just relying on the technology to stay in contact with each other in social media and waste time watching you know YouTube videos and things like that. So and do and that's not easy because a lot of times we just want to kind of veg out and tune out and and use the technology to do that but i think modeling appropriately is is key the other thing i think is important is is setting boundaries is uh, you know we we have iPhones and we use the screen time feature a lot where we're able to go and check in and see how long they've been using the devices and what kind of they've been spending time on doing so being aware of, of that and setting the time limit of saying, okay, you only have two hours to use your, your, your phone or your device today, your iPad. And if they need to use it for more time because they're either being productive they're or talking with grandma or whatever it is, then, you know, we can allow that, but they, they know they have those boundaries and they know that we are kind of involved in keeping track of what they're doing online so that, you know, we can have those kind of conversations. If you're spending five hours on your phone playing games then we can have that kind of talk about you know what's responsible use and what's not responsible use. I think that's important. That's a that's a distinction that I find a lot of parents aren't drawing enough. Where and I, and I should say the ones that are teachers often are because this is a thing that comes up in schools a lot. But the parents who are not teachers and don't have that training and don't have that frame for technology aren't necessarily thinking of things in this way, which is. One of the challenges of phones is that they do two different things, right? They both entertain us and they also are used as a tool. You sort and you sort of alluded to that, but I really want to I really want to expand that out where let's pay attention to what our kids are doing with their time on the phone. Are they researching for a paper? That's valid or are they 
you know, watching YouTube videos and vegging out, that's less valid. And then there's the gray area of they're texting with their friends, which to me is valid, but can push into the more frivolous zone. If it's, we're just sharing memes back and forth and we're not actually doing much with our phones. We're not necessarily connecting, but I, I think that it's important that we as parents really keep that lens on things. My guys had a hard and fast, you get an hour of iPad time a day and like two hours on the weekends. And then I started homeschooling them and Gavin was had this really intense moment where he was like, but we already used all of our time during homeschool. And I was like, oh, buddy, I'm sorry. I didn't really spell this out for you. That doesn't count. Wow. Yeah. Towards the hour of time on your iPad, because that that's production. That's like sort of your job. Like you're being responsible when you're using your iPad during homeschool. It doesn't count in, like in into that hour, which is aimed at like, are you watching Dan TDM videos and, and game theory and that kind of stuff? No, yeah, you're totally right. And that's and that, we we found that a lot with the tools that we use in our home to to monitor things where they were on their iPads for school, you know, obviously four or five hours the whole day when we were they were home or hybrid or whatever. But I had the the time limit set and, and the same thing was happening with us is that you know they were using going plowing through all their time and, and then the internet shut off for them. So then they couldn't do their schoolwork. And so that was kind of a a learning uh, a curve there for us. So uh so, yeah, I totally understand that for sure. Do you have any thoughts around like sort of netiquette? Not that we call it the net anymore, but but the best practices in terms of when kids are on the Internet, when they're dealing with social media, even if they're just in like Google Classroom and interacting on a Google Doc or something like that. Can you guide us in that a little bit? Yeah. So we, basically that revolves around digital citizenship. Uh, and that's something that uh, that's another kind of aspect of what I kind of encourage teachers to explore in the classrooms. And there's a couple of ways you can kind of go about doing that. There's the ISTE standards. ISTE is the uh, International Society for Technology Education. Um, the ISTE standards kind of outline what it is to be a good digital citizen, you know, how you're supposed to interact online, like you were talking about, like in the, even in Google Docs or in chats or in emails and whatnot. Uh, even something as simple as like writing an email and writing dear so-and-so how are you today? You know, composing an actual letter instead of just what's my grade on the English test. So like, you know, simple things like that. But um, basically there are acceptable use policy for their district, which I know is kind of going a little bit askew, but a lot of times districts have these acceptable use policies that are supposed to lay out the rules for how you're supposed to be interacting with each other on the internet and specifically spelling out what the consequences are for inappropriate actions on the internet using school devices and using the school network and all that good stuff. But what a lot of the times these acceptable use policies don't do is they don't outline positive uses, how you're supposed to use it. And so um, I was part of the team that revised our district's acceptable use policy this past year. And that was one of the key things that I felt was really important that we include in it so that kids and families and teachers know what we're expecting the kids to know how to do. And through that, there's three different categories of, uh, of use, which escapes me right now. But there are nine, nine different areas where you're learning to be not only a digital citizen, but knowing, understanding digital commerce, what it is to, um, you know, to buy and sell and trade things on the internet or whatever, buying apps and, and, and stickers and things like that, the, the fun things that you can do 
there. Digital law, like we were talking about before about um, citing your work and properly giving credit to, to those people that are not stealing movies and music off the internet, things like that. So understanding digital law. So there's nine different categories like that. And, and what we kind of need to do as educators and parents is um, make sure that when our kids are using this technology, that they're, they're understanding those various aspects of it. And then as teachers, we're incorporating that into the classroom and modeling the behavior as well. Like well, teachers don't want to just, you don't want to just go online and steal a worksheet from somebody without citing the source. You want to make sure that you're showing them that too. That's kind of a quick example, but, but yeah, digital citizenship is, is key. And I think that's a great kind of first step. And that, that needs to start as early as possible, as early as the kids can understand it so that as they grow and, and have these devices in their hands and they're using it more for communication with, you know, not only their friends, but then adventuring on social media and, you know, interacting with people may, who they might not know, knowing what the boundaries are and what's appropriate and what they should be doing and should, should not be doing. And I imagine another component to digital citizenship and potentially that acceptable use stuff is recognizing sources because there's a ton of stuff out there now that's just nonsense and made up and propaganda and not not based in science and fact, but based in this is how I want the world to be or this is what I'm angry about and I'm trying to tick everyone else off too. Because we need to come up with a way to help kids filter that as well as parents. We have to help our kids recognize what's likely true and what's likely not true and those sorts of things. Absolutely. Have you heard about the Northwest tree octopus? I have not. That's a lesson that a lot of teachers, it's been around for, for several years. Um, but there is an article, if you search for the Northwestern tree octopus, you get a couple of sites up at first that talks about what the tree octopus is and how it survives in its habitat and, uh, and shows pictures. And it's pretty cool. And it looks completely legit. Like a kid, a kid could go there. You could, as a teacher, like deadpan, totally serious, tell the kids, okay, today we're going to learn about the Northwest tree octopus, outline a few facts, give them, tell them that they need to go and do some research on it and have them come back and they will find material on it. But it's all complete, obviously completely made up. And, and that's a great way to kind of get them started down that road of, you know, not everything on the internet is true. And you've got to really be careful about the research that you do to make sure that you're getting it from legit sources and kind of vetting it out. I used to do dihydrogen monoxide when I taught English, which is water. Yeah. <laughs> but it there's stuff on the internet that talks about how dangerous dihydrogen monoxide is because it can like kill you because you can drown in it. Like it's all stuff that is technically true. Yeah. Yeah. But if you like, think about it a little, you can figure out that it's not actual reality. And I used to use that to, to get my kids looking at that. That's great. And in homeschooling, one of the things I did with my kids was I gave them two guides because I was running a business while homeschooling. There were times when I was like, research this thing. And I'm going to come back and check on you later on today in like three hours or whatever. We'll see how far you got. One of the most important sort of frames of mind, sort of guidance ideas that I gave to them was if the thing you're reading or watching makes you feel mad, get out of that. Like immediately stop watching it. Or if it makes you feel bad about yourself or makes you feel like guilty or shameful, like that's that's not where we want to be. We want to be in the area that's more fact-based. And if it is triggering these emotions, like wonder why, right? Like, is it is this happening because it's a 
true story that's making me feel bad because it is sad, that's one thing. If it's a story about history that is like trying to make you feel bad, if it's like attacking you, that's that's different. And if it's trying to make you feel mad at someone else, if it's trying to get you to like be mad at black people or be mad at gay people or something like that, shut that nonsense down immediately. Don't even bother trying to figure out what's going on with that one. Just move on, find another source. And and I also talked to them about the importance of recognizing what this website is, because odds are if you got a source like that's really being aggressive about trying to make you mad at someone, that website in general is not a website you want to be looking at. Absolutely. The tricky part being having to guide them on the land of or having to guide them with regard to Google is not really a website like it's bigger than a website and YouTube is bigger than a website. There are more platforms. Same with Facebook, same with Twitter, those kinds of things, expanding that perspective a little bit bigger too, because they don't, kids don't always understand that like, that's not the same thing. And Nate, Nate absolutely gave me a few articles where he was like, I got this on Google. That's where I got this. I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a great point. The the thing that kind of goes along with that is that you have the relationship with your boys that they're able to come to you and say, I found this. And I don't know how I feel about it or, or, or just like, what is, what is this being able to have that kind of conversation? I think that's really important that parents continue to have that or, or build that relationship with their kids that if the kids find something online that is blowing their mind for whatever reason, whether it's making them feel something or it's, they don't think it's true or they can't just can't believe it, that they're able to not just internalize that and keep that to themselves, that they're able to have that kind of conversation with the parents or teachers or a trusted adult or whoever it is so that they, they get the guidance that they need to, to know, you know, where, what to do with that information. Yeah. So what are some of the websites, tech tools? What are some of the things that parents might want to keep an eye out for, or might want to familiarize themselves with so that they're not going like, I don't understand e-backpack. What is that? Or how does this Google docs work? Are there any sort of broadly popular technological resources that parents might want to take a look at? So for in, in my school district, like I said before, we, we use Google. Um, so Google Classroom is kind of our, our go-to place for the kids, for teachers to use with the students to disseminate the information and have that kind of classroom space online. And parents themselves don't have necessarily they don't have direct access to Google Classroom because in Google Classroom, parents, you don't set the parents up with, with accounts to, to access it. Uh, what Google Classroom does by default is they have parents can get like a daily or weekly digests on uh, the work for the students and, and whatnot, what, what they've submitted, what's, what's late, what the grades are, what's returned and things like that. But because the parents don't have that kind of direct access to Google Classroom, what I encourage a lot of parents to do and what I have over the course of the past year has been hijack your students account. Uh, just you get your students login information and you go in and, and explore Google Classroom and see, see what it's all about. Because it's a pretty, it's a very straightforward platform. And, and if you as a parent kind of know how to navigate it and understand where your children's material is and where you can find all that stuff, then you're going to be able to help them instead of when your child has an assignment or something that they're working on or something that they can't find in Google Classroom, you just kind of throw up your hands and say, I don't know, email your teacher. You can, you can kind of be a little bit more helpful. 
Um, that, that was one kind of thing that I, I saw a lot over the course of the past year that I would encourage parents to do more of. The other thing is the platforms like you talked about, Google, YouTube, not to rely on both of those sources as the places to get information. Like they're great places to get information, don't get me wrong, but it's, they're not the only ones. So, um, you know, on most district websites, there are lists of, you know, websites that the schools use for research purposes to find out what books are available in the library, things like that. Our, our school district uses Destiny. So it's like the, the card catalog, the online card catalog where you can search for, the, for books and uh, other reference materials. Um, and then other sites kind of similar to that, like Khan Academy or Great for Math support to uh, explain concepts. I know that was a, kind of a big kind of learning hurdle for me and my wife was with this, with the new math and how the kids do multiplication and division, long division, it, you know, the, the kids were coming home or they were, they were home and they were learning online from the teacher. The teacher was teaching them how to do it. But because I learned math a particular way, I didn't know how to help my child with their homework because it, it just, it didn't make any sense to me. And finally, later on in the year, they did learned the real way to do the math and I could help them. So, you know, I felt like a hero, but during, during those times when they were doing the math the new way, going onto YouTube or Khan Academy or other resources that the teachers kind of sent our way helped me as a parent understand that stuff was helpful. You kind of snuck a really great resource in during that explanation that I want to highlight because it was super ninja. And that is the district website. Yeah, for sure. Not every district. I'm not going to pretend that all districts have a great district website that's a phenomenal resource. But a lot of them are. A lot of district websites are really good resources and potentially drilling down into like the teacher's websites and that kind of stuff up to and including talk to the parents of your kids, friends who are on like different teams and have different teachers and that kind of stuff, because there might be one seventh grade teacher that has a great personal website that's full of resource materials and Another seventh grade teacher who's teaching the same subject might have a website that just has their picture on it and their name. And so if you know about the other teacher's website, you can get a lot of stuff that you need. I've, I've heard of teachers who just say like, yeah, go look at Mr. Donovan's website. And they basically use Mr. Donovan's website across the subject area. It's just his is where everything lands and the other teachers don't have the same stuff. So those district websites and individual teacher websites can often be really good resources. At least it's a good starting point. You know, at least you, you've started there and you know that you've, you've, you've checked that out. And if it has the information that you need, awesome. But if it doesn't have the information you need, then at least you know and you can go back to either school administration or your um, town's Facebook group that you may have already asked and say, you know, I checked this, but this isn't, this isn't have the information I need. I need more help. Um, so they know where to kind of go from there. And we're also teaching our kids how to use those resources and how to explore those resources and how to like do research on the internet. Cause one of the things that drives me crazy, Oh, it makes me twitch. It totally like gets me going is when someone's like, Hey, was that person in that movie? And everyone's like, I don't know. Like every one of us has the world of information in our pocket. Just look it up. Look it up. Like, don't, don't ask me these questions if that you want to know the answer to, and then give up if I don't know. Like it, it, it especially gets to me 
when my wife does it when I'm driving somewhere because I can't look it up. I'm like, I don't know. Look it up. <laughs> no, I agree 100%. Uh, that's it. And I find myself doing that all the time. I mean, we were just we, we took a trip to Pennsylvania this past week and we were thinking of random things and the same thing. It, I don't know. I'm going to look it up and you find the information. It's all right there at your fingertips. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be movie trivia, right? It can be right. Anything. I don't understand how to find the hypotenuse of a triangle. You know what, man? Don't wait to go back to school to find the answer to that. Look it up. Figure it out. Do that question. And that's so true, even like in my role. So like like I said before, I'm a, a, te- a coach of teachers. Teachers will ask, do the same thing to me. And I'm, I'm, this is not a complaint at all. And I'm totally happy to help any teacher at any time. And even with the simplest of questions. But there's a lot of times where I get an email with a question. And it's something that literally I could type, I could copy the question from the email, paste it into a Google search and get the same answer that I'm about to give the teacher. And, and I think that's, you know, that's an important thing for, for parents and teachers to understand is that individual people don't necessarily have all the answers. The, the collective knowledge of the web does, you know, so nine times out of 10, you can find that information out there, but it also goes back to what we were talking about before is vetting that information and making sure what you're getting is current and accurate. Yeah. And that's why they're asking you, right? Like, right. I get the same thing where people will email me and say, do you know of any, I don't know, mental health clinicians in Michigan? And I'm like, guys, you all know I live in Massachusetts. Like you listen to the show. Yes, I know people in Michigan. Yes, my network goes there and I can talk to them and I always do. But I'm also going to like Google it and look at that. But when they're asking me that question, they're not necessarily expecting me to know mental health clinicians in Michigan, I think part of what they're thinking is this guy can Google that and vet that information more effectively than I can because he knows what to look for. And I don't. Yeah. And I should I should say real quick, listeners, if you all just suddenly start asking me about mental health clinicians in your neighborhood, I'm, I'm not going to reply to those emails if I get more than like four <laughs> or five of them. It's going to shut me down right away. <laughs> I have a lot of stuff to do. Sorry about that. Sorry. But in a month, totally email me about the person in your neighborhood who's whether they're a good mental health clinician or not. And now I just got that Sesame Street song stuck in your head. Nice. <laughs> um, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but just in case. Are there any pitfalls that parents should be especially looking out for around technology aside from sort of the conflict of entertainment versus tool and unreliable sources and that kind of stuff. Is there anything else that you can think of that we need to alert them to? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that kind of in addition to what we, we've already talked about, it's related to that too. It can be a time suck for sure. I mean, you are trying to do something on your device that may be better off being done using a piece of paper and a pencil. Sometimes the technology is not the tool that you want to use to reach a certain goal. I don't want to use technology when I'm practicing my clarinet. I don't need to. It's clarinet. I got my music. I can, or I can make up music on my mind and I've got the physical instrument in front of me. Sometimes I might want to use my use technology to teach me something about the clarinet and then go back and do it. Um, but I guess that that's, that's, that's probably one pitfall that I would want to stress is that technology is usually not the solution for all of your problems. It's not the solution for getting your kids engaged with their schoolwork. It's not the solution for a babysitter. It's not the solution for all the information that you need to know in all of your life. It's a tool and it's useful, but it's not the be all end all. And I think sometimes 
teachers and parents and schools get kind of locked in that mindset that they have to have technology and they have to have this particular device in order for their kids to be successful. And nine times out of 10, that's not true. Like I said, it's a tool. It's great to have. It's useful. But sometimes you need to broaden your horizons a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes it can create problems where you don't even see them, right? I'm, I'm thinking specifically of one eighth grade English teacher that I have. I never, I've never met the guy, but I've worked with some students who came through his classroom and he has this assignment. It's like a five to eight page essay that the kids write. No joke. The papers that explain this five to eight page assignment are like 30 pages long. And my guess is that what happened is he shifted over to the interwebs. And as problems came up, he just added it to the document, like how to solve that problem. And because he never prints it anymore, he's not seeing how big that document has gotten. Right. Because he doesn't print it out and go, oh, my God, this thing is a monster. He just adds stuff in and adds stuff in. And one of the dads that I work with printed them out, all of the documents that went into this one essay. And I was like, holy cow. Like you can't even staple that with like a super stapler. He he was using like giant binder clips to hold this these pages together. Yeah. And that's a as on the teacher side of things, that's a that's another pitfall that I've seen is just stuff gets bigger than it needs to be and more sort of free ranging. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, you keep it simple. You know, you go you go back to that the the old advice, keep it simple stupid and because you really you really need to. Especially for ADHD folks, we want it straightforward. Well, for sure. And that's it. And I mean, and as a, as a learner, there are some kids that are going to be able to read that and be like, okay, I got it. No problem. And, but there are going to be some kids that need a video, or, you know, kind of walking them through things or a, a cute infographic that says step one, step two, step three, step four. And because we have as teachers, all of this, this diverse population in front of us of different types of learners with all sorts of various needs and whatnot from all sorts of backgrounds, we've got to kind of be on top of that. And uh, you know, that's kind of just a side note. That's that's not technology's fault. That's that's an educator's issue. I've been out of the classroom for almost a decade now, I guess. It's been a while. I have a question before we before we wrap things up. Where's Wikipedia landing on reliable resources list? So much better than it was 10 years ago. You know, it's definitely the first site that pops up in your search results when you're searching for when did George Washington cross the Delaware or whatever. And, and it's, it's fine. I mean, I find myself going to it more and more all the time. And when I read through a Wikipedia article, to me, being a fairly educated person and having, you know, a, a knowledge base, it seems much better than it was before. You know, I don't see Encyclopedia Britannica coming up with their own version of things. And, and they may have a, a site, but honestly, it, I never, I never go to it. Um, Wikipedia is usually the first one that, that pops up. And I think that they've, they've kind of raised their standards somewhat too over the, over the years where, yes, anybody can go in and edit an article, but they have systems in place that say, you know, that flag a, a user's submissions and whatnot so that, you know, if they're putting up nonsense, then, then you're aware of it. So, you know, and like we've talked about already before vetting your sources, it usually has in, in a Wikipedia article like citation needed or other information that kind of cues you into like, this may not be the best source for me right now. And then, you know, to go on kind of elsewhere. So cool. yeah, it's, it's, it's better than it was before for sure. Yay. Cause I use it. So I was like, where, what do schools think? It's good to know that schools are keeping with the time. Cause that doesn't always happen. Yeah. Yep. And with that said, just being mindful of time, 
do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? For me personally, um, I, have a, I have a website that I welcome anybody to come and visit. It's called edupowertools.com. I post a lot of different blog posts with tutorials and whatnot, specifically focused on um, teachers, but also on uh, helping students use technology, various resources that, um, that I use with, with my teachers and with the kids in the district. Um, some of it is specific to my school district. Like I said, I'm in Northbridge, but some of it is, uh, is generic enough where, where people may find value in it. Um, there's also a YouTube channel on there. It's all, all linked there, but it's edupowertools.com. So stop by and, and check it out. And, and I love any kind of feedback and any kind of requests for more information that uh, should be put up there. But, um, you know, like I said before, too, uh, technology is a tool and it's a super useful tool, but it's not the be all end all. And want to make sure that we're encouraging our kids to be well-rounded, uh, encouraging us as adults to keep our minds open and help, help the kids do the great things that they can do. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.